Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com, and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to linode.com changelog. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice. Everything we do here at Changelog is hosted on Linode servers. Pick a plan, pick a distro, and pick a location, and in seconds, deploy your virtual server. Drawworthy hardware, SSD cloud storage, 40 gigabit network, Intel E5 processors, simple, easy control panel, nine data centers, three regions, anywhere in the world they've got you covered. Head to linode.com changelog and get $20 in hosting credit. From Changelog Media, you're listening to The Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, leaders, and innovators of open source. I'm Adam Stokowiak, Editor-in-Chief of Changelog. On this episode, we talk with Johanna Schickling about GraphQL, an application layer query language from Facebook. We talked about what it is, where it makes sense to use it, its role in serverless architectures, getting docs for free via schemas and types, and the community that's rallying around this new way to think about APIs. We're back talking about something very cool, Jared. Something that we have not quite talked about on the show. Although when we talked to the people from Facebook, we kind of coordinated this call, but right. it's been like forever and we're not even talking to them. Yeah, it's been a couple of years uh, since Facebook announced GraphQL back in 2014, I believe. In fact, nope, September 2015. If I just would have looked at the notes, I would have got that the first time. But since then, people have gotten quite excited about it. And we are joined today by a fella who is so excited about it. He even has a company, GraphQL. Great name, by the way, Johannes. <laughs> All about GraphQL and serverless and providing uh, really hosting and options for people who are using this uh, technology. So first of all, Johannes, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So everybody's getting excited about GraphQL. Seems like for different reasons. Um, others are still uh, skeptically standing on the sidelines. But you, as we just said, are kind of all in on it. So uh, first of all, tell the audience what GraphQL is in your words, and then uh, tell us why you're so excited. Uh, sure. So uh, GraphQL, in abstract words, is a query language for your API. What that really means is if you're a front-end developer, you're probably used to using RESTful APIs, which is kind of like the, the best practice of the last, last 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. And you can kind of think about GraphQL as a better replacement for that in most cases. So um, as you're querying uh, a REST API, you're usually getting back JSON of a certain shape. And you can think about GraphQL as basically you send, you're sending a query to the server with just a shape of uh, the JSON, but without the values. So kind of like a JSON blob, uh, just the keys without the values, and the server fills in the values for you. Um, and if you ca- take this concept, you can directly tell the server the shape of the data you're expecting, and you can do queries to get data, and you ask for what you want, and you get predictable results. Um, and you can even traverse your entire data of your backend in, in a certain way. Um, and you get a lot of flexibility you wouldn't be able to get with a common REST API. So that's maybe a, a quick way to describe GraphQL from a from a front-end perspective. Mm-hmm. 
So the big wins are reduced number of calls to the API because you don't have to make subsequent requests for related objects or records, as well yeah. as the flexibility to grab exactly what you need and nothing more. So reduced payload size. Exactly. Um, exactly. Flexibility. And so therefore speed, right? Exactly. So these two problems you, uh, you called out um, are actually called data overfetching. So imagine you have uh, you're starting out building building an app, and you you have a REST API for that, and the iOS app has quite a lot of different requirements, and you keep adding stuff to this endpoint. You also start building an Android app, which doesn't have all of these data requirements, and it um, anyway gets all of the data constantly over the wire and fetches maybe 60, 70 percent more data than it actually needs. Um, so the other idea is to keep the REST endpoints really slim. And so let's say you build like a like an Instagram and you have uh, your feed with all of the images, but for every image you also want to get uh, the, the author object, like, a, the, like the person. And let's say you want to do that for 100 images. What you would end up doing is sending 101 requests, uh, one for the, for, for the list of images and 100 for uh, each person. And this is like the, the classical N plus one query problem. And both of these problems are, are solved with GraphQL. So going to the N plus one query problem um, with REST interfaces or with JSON, you know, with, with like the JSON API spec and stuff like this, there are solutions for this, such as side loading associated records um, without having to create multiple queries. So I think that isn't that sufficient for many people? Um, yes. But uh, GraphQL gives you a lot of nice other things on top. And it does that by, at the same time, being really, really simple. So uh, the way GraphQL actually works is that GraphQL gives you a, a type system as your discoverable endpoint. So for, for JSON API, you would still have all of these, uh, all of these endpoints. Uh, with GraphQL on the other side, uh, you have this one endpoint where you can write your, your queries to and you just have a really simple and concise syntax. So um, I think if you're if you're already heavily invested into JSON API, um, then that's probably fine for for most of your mm -hmm. use cases. But GraphQL is just has a way lower entry barrier and uh, provides a lot of great tooling, which all revolves around this this type system of the GraphQL language. Uh, and this allows for for tools such as um, GraphQL or GraphQL Playground, uh, which gives you it's basically like a little IDE for writing GraphQL queries, uh, which gives you auto completion and um, error detection if there's an, an error in your in your query. And all of this tooling um, just revolves around the, the simple standard of GraphQL. So we mentioned back that Facebook announced that they had actually been running GraphQL internally for a couple of years before creating the open source, well, creating the specification, as well as open sourcing and a reference implementation in JavaScript. That was September 2015. Uh, about a year later, GitHub announced that they're switching to GraphQL for their public API, uh, September 2016. I got a quick paragraph from the GitHub announcement on the GitHub engineering blog that I think will give a real example of what you're talking about, uh, Johannes, with regards to uh, the query problem, the, the too many API calls. So they said that the REST API is responsible for over 60% of GitHub requests made to their database tier. 
This is partly because by its nature, hypermedia navigation requires a client to repeatedly communicate with a server so that it can get all the information it needs. Our responses were bloated and filled with all sorts of star underscore URL hints in the JSON responses to help people continue to navigate through the API to get what they needed. Despite all the information we provided, we heard from integrators that our REST API also wasn't very flexible. It sometimes required two or three separate calls to assemble a complete view of a resource. It seemed like our responses simultaneously sent too much data and didn't include data that consumers needed. Now, earlier on, I said if if you can sideload relationships, you can get around some of the problems of the you know, too many API calls, but that requires you to have a very intimate understanding of the client that's accessing the API. And when you're building a general purpose API for m- many different clients, like you said, with regards to an Android client, iOS client, and so on, um, you just don't have that level of flexibility. You have to be generic. And so um, in those cases, REST just wasn't a great fit. Anything to add there? Is that, is that a, a decent real-world example of, of what you're talking about? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I'm not sure whether that was the statement from uh, this Monday or from uh, a year ago, but I think this Monday actually, like the, the GraphQL GitHub API was officially released and it's right. no longer in an alpha or, or developer access. Yeah, um, this, and, this post I'm reading here was was last year. This was their announcement and I think beta right. or, you know, that they were basically right. going to make this switch, but they hadn't they hadn't completed it yet. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I've spoken to to Brooks, who um, who works at GitHub, and um, we actually had him over last weekend at GraphQL Europe, uh, a conference we were hosting uh, about GraphQL. And he was giving a talk about how GitHub was moving to GraphQL and gave a motivation around all of this. And it was really insightful and such a great fit for, like like you said, it provides so much flexibility, this API. And I think it's a, it's a great introduction for people who want to um, dive a bit into GraphQL and see like why, why is this actually useful. And there they have a, a brilliant example. Mm-hmm. So with GraphQL, you have a schema that's exposed uh, from the API side. Can you tell us about the schema and what it all includes? Right. Um, so the, the schema, you basically you have a server that exposes uh, the, the schema. So the schema therefore represents a type system. You have multiple ways to provide that. So usually you do that through a server. So the server you could implement it uh, on on your own with like there there are multiple ways to to build a, a GraphQL server in in any language. You can uh, use uh, an Express app in Node. Uh, you can build it in, in Python. You can build it uh, in Scala. There are also uh, a couple of services out there which help you to set a GraphQL backend. And um, yeah, we're, we're, for example, uh, providing one where the process around turning your GraphQL schema into an actual GraphQL API is literally you're specifying your GraphQL schema in something that's called the GraphQL SCL, the Schema Definition Language. Hmm. So if you're if you're heading over to graphql.org, you actually see in the header um, where it says describe your data, you're seeing a very concise syntax of uh, a part of your schema. So you basically, if you if you're familiar with typed languages like Swift or TypeScript or something like that, and you're writing out your your type definitions, that's basically uh, what you can do for for GraphQL as well. And these type definitions are the foundation for your GraphQL schema. Hmm. 
What's really cool about that is because you're defining the schema with the type definitions and everything that's supported, um, you get basically free and up-to-date docs all the time, right? Because that's exactly. basically what you're writing. Exactly. And there, there is so much great tooling around that. And uh, the type definition is really the, the foundation for that. So um, like that's probably one of the biggest aha moments for people getting into GraphQL is trying out this GraphQL playground or this GraphQL uh, graphical editor where you see all of this auto-completion and you can toggle uh, automatic documentation for your API and you don't need to maintain uh, a swagger documentation, all of that. So uh, that's really like a, a completely new level of what you would get out of swagger, for example. Mm-hmm. What are the drawbacks? Because right now it sounds like you know unicorns and rainbows all over the place. There has to be, with all technologies, there are trade-offs. What are some of the drawbacks? Right. Uh, I mean, uh, this, this is a fairly big unicorn. <laughs> so uh, one, one of the, uh, <laughs> um, so I've actually, like, I think I can list the, the, the drawbacks. Like, I don't even need one hand for that. Um, <laughs> so there are a couple of weird cases, but these are really exotic and don't really occur in, in the real world. Um, so the, the biggest pushback we got from people is when they say, hey, my API is really, really simple. So it's just an endpoint that exposes maybe two fields. And there it's like uh, I'm always expecting the same thing from this API. And it's not really complex. And this is where we hear, hear people saying um, it's it might be overkill to use GraphQL. Um, and in these cases, if they already have their REST API, that's probably fine. But as soon as your application really starts to, to grow and you have multiple, like from a REST world resources, this becomes uh, more complicated. GraphQL is really um, like, it has almost zero overhead for you to, um, to, to implement on the backend side. And there aren't really any, any obvious uh, downsides. I mean, of course you have to, like, it's usually when you want to start something from scratch, you're usually going with what you already know. And uh, GraphQL yeah. is not yet um, as uh, well established as the REST standard, for example. But I think it's literally just a matter of time until people realize it's actually simpler to build GraphQL APIs compared to REST APIs and definitely maintaining them and so on. I can speak a little bit to the learning curve because uh, as we were telling Johannes before the call, neither Adam nor I have used GraphQL in any sort of significant way. Um, but I did go through learngraphql.com, which we'll link up in the show notes, uh, which is a very nice tutorial. Um, and probably 30, 45 minutes with that, and I already felt like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm <laughs> I'm good here. I could probably <laughs> you know, uh, take this and run with it. Now, I wasn't trying to achieve anything uh, real, so that's the real test. But at least the concepts and uh, the formatting, if you're used to, JSON and JavaScript and func- you know things like that. It's it is pretty easy to conceptually wrap around your head from the client side. Yeah, and and that's the beauty of GraphQL. It's so simple to to understand it fairly quickly. Um, but at the same time, like now that we've been using GraphQL for more than two years, there are constantly new points where we have like brilliant aha moments where the simplicity of GraphQL enables completely new concepts. So it's really well thought out and was very much worth it to stay internally at Facebook for, for five years 
until mm -hmm. it's uh, really evolved to what it is today. And uh, really the, the simplicity um, is what makes makes it so easy to understand. And it's so well designed that it enables so many different scenarios. One drawback that I've heard, and I can't validate this, so I'm going to ask it to you, is that because every API call is a unique snowflake, that it's darn near impossible to have an efficient caching strategy on the mm. server side. Is that something that you run into, or is that a non-issue? Uh, that's a very good point. So um, GraphQL is definitely um, a new paradigm how you expose the API. And uh, I mean, that's the entire idea of REST APIs that you have like on a resource level that you can um, do HTTP uh, caching and so on. Um, right. So that is, uh, you cannot directly transfer that concept uh, to GraphQL. So you need new, uh, uh, new ways to cache. And uh, I agree that is not as well as uh, understood as REST APIs, for example, currently are. Um, but it, this allows for, for new kind of concepts, so you can cache more on a data graph level. So there, there's just a lot more still to be explored, and that's mm. definitely one, one of the parts of how you build GraphQL servers, where there's uh, is a lot of movement currently. I mean, it's not uh, directly something that is just not possible. It's just something where you have to wrap your mind around. It's different. Um, that it's right. different. I would think with less uh, less queries, less activity to the server, you might actually be able to save. And maybe exactly. caching is less required because your server is actually getting pinged a lot less. Exactly, exactly. And you, you can basically, how you assemble the response of a GraphQL query is entirely up to you, and you can cache it in whatever way you want. So and usually, the GraphQL queries you're getting are fairly fairly similar, so you can do quite a lot of uh, efficient caching. And if your uh, data structures and if, you're, if the nature of your data allows for it, then you can even cache the normal HTTP requests which are coming in. So that's maybe also worth mentioning that um, GraphQL is uh, from the standard on its own, independent from the from the transport protocol being used. Mm -hmm. So GraphQL can be so most commonly it is used via an HTTP uh, transport. But it's uh, for example there are also now newly the GraphQL subscriptions, uh, which are usually used via um, a WebSocket connection. But we we are aware of people who use uh, GraphQL with binary transports and uh, using a UDP stream, for example. So you can, um, hmm. whatever transport protocol you're using, you can also do a lot of uh, clever tricks there. Yeah, that's definitely worth mentioning that where that sits in the networking stack is at the application layer. Um, so thinking about it in terms of REST, you know, REST semantics use HTTP, uh, even verbs, right? Get, post, put, or patch, if you will, and delete. Hmm. Um, when you're using GraphQL with an HTTP underneath it, are you just you just pick, using gets, getting post? How does it actually, does it matter how you communicate at that layer? Um, so it's mostly uh, up to you, but the, the best, there is a definite best practice, and that is usually that you send everything via a post request. Um, and in this post request, you're usually sending a JSON encoded payload, and this JSON encoded payload at minimum has a field called query, where you're literally sending your GraphQL query. Additionally, there's also the concept of, of variables 
where you can parameterize your query with, with variables you can pass over. Um, and yeah, that's basically what you're sending over and you just get JSON back. So that, that is kind of like the, the best practice being used in 99% of cases. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about mutating data, how you go about changing data with GraphQL mutations, authentication and permissions, and the role of GraphQL and how it's aiming to be your favorite serverless GraphQL backend. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Hired. Hired matches outstanding people with the world's most innovative companies. At Hired, your dream job is waiting to apply to you. Instead of endlessly applying to companies hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with interesting opportunities. The best part is Hired is completely free to you. It won't cost you anything. In fact, they pay you to get hired. Head to Hired.com slash changelog. Don't Google it. This URL is the only way to double the hiring bonus to $600. Once again, go to Hired.com slash changelog. And now back to the show. Johannes, we talked about fetching data, the advantages there, the simplicity. We haven't talked about um, mutating data. So why don't you give us the quick rundown and we'll go from there. Exactly. So um, yeah, the, these are basically the two big concepts of GraphQL. One is querying data, what we talked about uh, in the first section. So the, the other big part is how you actually write data, how you update data. Um, and that's called GraphQL mutations. So that's uh, from a REST perspective, that's kind of the equivalent of put, post, delete, patch, um, and yeah, these sort of verbs. So the idea of a, uh, of a GraphQL mutation is basically a GraphQL schema exposes mutations. You can kind of think about them as uh, remote function calls. Um, so they expect some arguments. So for example, if you're building this Instagram app and we want to create a new image, we would need to um, provide like a, a, a description for for the image and maybe the image URL. So you, and all of these arguments are typed. Um, so you need to provide them, and you can also for every mutation, it also exposes a view into your graph. So you can, while running the mutation, you can also already query back data. So for example, as you're creating this new uh, image, you might want to get its ID back and um, some some other information. So um, a mutation is really a mutation plus a query. Um, and yeah, this is basically the, the concept of a mutation. Uh, it's, it's as simple as, as queries are, and this is how you can implement any sort of writing operations. So whatever mutates your, your backend, you would do through a mutation. And once again, because it's part of that schema, it's all explorable, it's all documented, it's all very clear. Exactly, yeah. What about if you want to mutate a host of things all at once. Um, it's basically up to you how you design your mutations. So uh, whatever fits your use case, um, you can um, design mutations that do that. So for example, if you have a more complicated piece of business logic in your backend, so for example, if you're building a, a web shop, 
and you have a checkout process that usually does more than just one thing. So you would create a mutation that does exactly that and your implementation would take care of all of the implementation steps. So it would maybe uh, create an order object, it would maybe uh, transform like a list of items into a representation that fits your, your web shop, like order items and so on. So it, it could basically do whatever you, you want your mutation to do and you expose it in a very minimal way to the front end. Mm. So what about permissions and authorizations and stuff? If you're having this, you know, kind of an ad hoc, put your query together API, but you want to provide different access for different clients. Is that something that's built into GraphQL or is that something you'd have to go out on your own and figure out how to get that done? Right. Uh, really good question. So um, I think we, we should t talk about both things. Uh, the first is authentication. Um, and to going back to your last question, um, neither of these concepts are directly built into GraphQL, but it's so flexible that you can basically use whatever concept you, you want to use, you can use with GraphQL. Um, so every authentication mechanism you would have for your REST API, you can more or less directly translate uh, to your GraphQL API. So um, a best practice for uh, authentication in, in GraphQL APIs is that you have some sort of mutation um, that authenticates you as anonymous user as an authenticated user. So maybe you, you're sending back some, some kind of session token and the session token you might send back uh, for every subsequent request through an authorization header. So this is a really simple way to implement authentication uh, for, mm -hmm. for GraphQL APIs, but you can also like use HTTP basic auth or however you want to go about that. So that's completely up to you. Um, and authorization is basically the, uh, the same story. Um, it's up to the backend how you would implement that. Um, so, but additionally to a REST API where you would usually just do authorization based on a, on a resource and endpoint level uh, with GraphQL, you can go a step further and you can um, do field-based authorization rules. So, um, mm. for example, if you want to query a user, maybe you are allowed to, to see the user's name, but not the email address, and certainly not the hash password. So, and there you can basically, on a field level, implement authorization rules, what you can see and what you cannot see. Um, and yeah, so this is usually where it gets, uh, as for every backend, it really gets fairly tricky how you yeah. implement um, permission rules. And this is something where we at GraphCool, we're, we're pretty excited about the, the way we found to expose a level of abstraction for authorization rules with our permission system. So this is one of the, the voids where GraphCool or similar services are, you're offering some solutions to these things, which it's, you know, there's six dozen ways to skin the cat, right? Because like you said, it's not in the specification. So it's up to the individual API or the individual implementation to figure out how to do it. And so you guys are providing some of that stuff out of the box for GraphQL users. Is that right? Exactly. So, um, and that's actually one of the biggest steps how we see uh, ourselves as a, as a next step in the evolution of, of backend services. So if you think about PARS or Firebase, um, you, you have these concepts of uh, ACL and, and roles. 
so that you can say like um, this user has the admin role and therefore this user is allowed to do X. But in in most real world applications, that's way too minimal and that doesn't allow you to implement your real application. So what we basically allow you to do is um, you can specify any kind of authorization rules based on the graph structure of your data. So in, in our Instagram example, uh, imagine you have an author of a, of a post, of an image, and just this author is allowed to change the description or the image URL of, of this post. Or every person has a lot of followers and uh, maybe this following needs to be accepted and then just accepted followers are allowed to view images. And all of these permission rules are based on the information which is embedded in the graph structure of your data schema. And we basically give people, give developers a way to implement these permission rules in the form of GraphQL queries, which represents uh, permission rules by just specifying these conditions with the simplicity of GraphQL queries. So that sounds fairly abstract, and you mm. would certainly need to like see the, a few examples. But this is a really simple concept, which allows you to, to specify any sort of permission rules. So you mentioned Firebase and Parse, and uh, GraphQL is kind of a new spin on that same type of a service. And those are both services that got acquired and are in various states of disrepair. Parse, of course, famously shut down. Seemed like a very good a good job of going about the shutdown in terms of people having time and getting their data out and all that kind of thing. Um, Firebase, I'm not sure of the status of Firebase. I think it's, it still exists as is, right? It, it does exist, and it's actually but, Google is putting a lot of money into it. Okay, so getting better perhaps, but um, you know, Google could change their mind and, and shut Firebase off. So, you know, for those who are thinking, oh, GraphQL sounds cool, um, but what if it disappears tomorrow? That's always my concern. What do you say to, to that type of a right. question? Right. Um, so that's actually one of the, the most common questions we're getting yeah. from people evaluating our service, and it makes a lot of sense. And I'd, I'd ask the same question if, if I would uh, see a service like that. Um, yeah. So I think um, one thing that Parse has done particularly well is that everything went open source. Mm -hmm. And you, you can now run your own Parse server. So people are who were running on Parse before can still get somewhat the same level. But of course, that's, that's not perfect. So what GraphQL really allows you to do, and not just GraphQL, but the entire concept of serverless, is that the entire service we're building is based on open source technologies. So Firebase, Parse, all of these, um, all of these services were built on proprietary software, whereas our service is just built on open source technology like a GraphQL API. And we allow you to export we like not just for shutting down, but uh, like when you're signing up and you decide, I don't want to use this anymore, I want to build my own thing. You can export the entire schema, you can export all the data, and you can roll it on, on your own. So, um, this openness of these technologies allow you to migrate away. And this is really uh, something really important for us. Yeah. We don't want to um, promote the concept of vendor login, um, we rather want to think about the concept of uh, maximizing developer experience. So, I mean, it's a similar concept to what the guys at 
Expo are, for example, doing. Um, so they just make it really easy to, to use these technologies with React Native and so on. It's all open source. Uh, you could build it on your own, but with using something like that, it just maximizes the, what you can get out of it. It gives you a better level of abstraction. And that is really what our mission is about. Mm-hmm. So you like how Parse went open source after acquisition. Is that, are you saying GraphQL would do the same thing if you guys found um, yourself in a similar situation? Right. Um, so I think it took Parse uh, a bit to, to really uh, get there. So uh, it didn't, for example, it didn't open source most things on day one. So it like, was a lot of pushback back and forth around which parts are being open sourced until really uh, most parts got open source. So that, that is one part of it. Uh, so we've taken the same concept and um, this is something what really resonates with people. Um, so we have this policy, what we call the, the sunset policy, uh, which basically says whenever something would happen to our service, uh, everything would just be, be open source. People can host it on their own. I mean, everything uh, internally is built on on open technologies with, with Docker and so on. Um, so people could host it on their own. Um, and yeah, uh, needless to say, we're not planning to to shut down at any uh, anytime soon. And yeah. we're also, we right. said no to, to every uh, acquisition offer we got so far. What, uh, what parts of the service is proprietary? I mean, if you're built on only open source, it's gotta be some sort of glue there and that's the proprietary part that's not open source. Is can you talk about that a bit? Right. Um, I mean, that directly translates to the, to the value we are providing. And it's actually um, directly rooted in the cause of why we're, we started to build GraphQL. So as you're building your own backends, especially REST backends, uh, you find yourself a lot in the situation where you just basically, you want your API. And the API usually either uh, gives you data out of a database or it receives data and stores it in the database in some way. So you're just building this mapping between uh, your API and a database. And this is where you put a lot of time in. It needs to evolve. It needs to, like, it's very error prone. It's not particularly exciting, but there are a lot of mistakes being made in this process. And this is something we wanted to just solve this problem um, and GraphQL is the perfect foundation for that. So based on your GraphQL schema, you're specifying um, locally or uh, on, on our, our platform with a, uh, with a GraphQL schema, we generate a GraphQL API for you with a managed database in, in the back. So where the, the proprietary part is, and proprietary, it's like there is nothing really secret about it. It's just a lot of uh, complexity we are abstracting away, um, and this is the mapping between the automatically generated GraphQL API and uh, a scalable database. Mm. So maybe this will be more controversial, and you know, I don't understand your business nearly as well as you do, but why not just silence all questions and just go completely 100% open source, similar to like Discourse, where you know everything that they do, you can do yourself, but you know, you can also use them as the host and they'll do all of the hard things for you. Is that a consideration or is that um, too scary? Or it, It's definitely a consideration and we're looking into ways how we, we could uh, go down uh, a path like that. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, one one part of that is just that this system is far from trivial. So uh, I mean, we we started out building the first few prototypes in Node, and it just grew quite quickly. And we knew we had to build it in a in a way that is scalable, that will be maintainable going forward. Um, so for example, half of our uh, test base was basically. Uh, just something that could have been caught by a good type system. So we uh, really quickly, we decided to rebuild everything in Scala. And now it's this um, like a really huge code base with multiple microservices, a lot of infrastructure involved. And that takes us quite a lot of time to ramp up new engineers um, Mm -hmm. to to understand that uh, internally. And open sourcing all of that would just slow us down quite significantly since we would need to have documentation around that and people would rather be uh, concerned about hey how can i get this to run on my own and we would just it would just slow us down since every decision we would make uh, internally uh, how we are changing infrastructure and so on would suddenly be a breaking change so uh, we rather want to move really quickly on that internally with we are managing our internal breaking change people will never uh, know about and once we have found a good way to orchestrate everything internally we mm-hmm. want to take uh, one step at a time to to open source version of that let's paint the timeline here i mean you as you mentioned in the first part jared graphql was announced july 2015 so september uh well i'm, I'm looking at oh, september okay so i was looking at the graphql about page and kind of using their timeline Oh, I'm trying to paint back the picture of like GraphQL being announced. It seems like their first prototype, I'm assuming GraphQL's first prototype was in January 2016. And it seemed like you spent most of 2016 either creating and or getting the necessary investment to be able to make a company. And so now you're at a point where you can actually launch and be used and grow as a company. And it seems like maybe you're in this stage of of like innovation and then once the dust, so to speak, settles, then you can start to say, well, what can we extract from this to give back to the community? Is that a fair assumption of where you're at? Um, to, to a certain extent. So it's quite remarkable um, what is actually needed to just uh, provide a baseline to people in, in terms of infrastructure that they can um, implement any kind of uh, use case they want. So if you're uh, basically giving them a new way to build backends. Um, so we're not we're not trying to be like a new Firebase replacement where you where we provide crash reports and, and all of that, but we rather want to provide people a new way to build backends and a, and a better abstraction for that. And there is just a lot of uh, a lot of groundwork needed. Um, so around uh, authorization, around authentication systems, and also most importantly, around how people can implement their own business logic, how they, how they can extend that and so on. Um, so we're working quite hard um, <laughs> and it's just, uh, it is a lot of work and I wouldn't say we're entirely there yet where we can say, all right, all of that is perfect. Now let's see how we can uh, open this up and make it available for, for everybody. Our goal at the moment is uh, seeing what are the biggest problems our customers are facing and how can we make it easier for them? And yeah. once we've reached that point, it's just like next logical step. Yeah, just thinking about, you know, the with GraphQL, the clients basically write their own queries. And then with services like GraphQL and 
AWS Lambda serverless, you don't have servers. You know, you don't have like what's next? Codeless? Like I don't have any code anymore. <laughs> where 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 is the like? Uh, I'm thinking about this because you said business logic, and it's like where the crap does the does my code go nowadays? It's like I feel mm-hmm. like I'm being marginalized as an application developer. Or all, but um, it keeps getting pitched to me as if I'm becoming Superman, but I feel like maybe I'm my role's reduced. How do you? What do you think um, about that? I I wouldn't say so. For for us, it's again comes down to this concept of level of abstraction. So mm-hmm. when you're building a backend, um, I think you nobody really like is obsessed with the part of how can I map the API perfectly to the to the database and how can I migrate my database in the no. Uh, in the, the best possible way, but what that's you're the drudgery, in, right? That's the work. That's the labor. exactly, exactly, exactly. And I mean, we are having compilers, we're having better programming languages, we're having frameworks that this manual and repetitive work gets somewhat reduced to a minimum, mm-hmm. and that you can go to like user experience. How how can you make uh, make this a great product? How can you make processes great? How can you uh, implement business logic? Like when somebody signs up, sending them. Uh, a sign-up email, sending push notifications, implementing authorization logic and all of that. So we just want to get people directly to that point where they can implement business logic. And this is where, where serverless functions come in. So these are basically the small parts in the application where actually code is required. And uh, I'm pretty sure that like even there, the level of abstraction gets um, higher as well. So. Uh, like 20 years ago, you wouldn't have a service like Mailgun or something like that to send an email. Now it's just a, a service you can use. So there, there's still a lot of hard problems that can be uh, made easier with uh, with services. But how you tie all of that together, this is this is really when it come when it comes to uh, to building a, an application. So as you're playing with Lego, you're uh, you already have the the Lego building blocks. And that's the, that's the fun part of putting all of that together. But you don't need to manufacture the building blocks before. And mm. um, and uh, going back to this analogy of Lego building blocks, that um, the great idea of bringing GraphQL and serverless together is that Lego blocks snap together, and the snapping is, is done through the GraphQL type system. So the GraphQL type system basically for, for every moving part where you pass on data, the data is typed. So for example, as uh, data flows through a system and you want to hook in uh, into a certain event and execute some code, uh, in, in this case, it would be a function. The function would be, for if you implement it in a, in a typed language as well, such as TypeScript, for example, or JavaScript with Flow or Java, you have um, types as well, and you can map them one to one to each other. So the GraphQL type system of your application maps to your code, and you get something like global type safety. So that's that's one of the the divisions for us. Uh, what we where we want to go to over the next years. After the break, we talk about the difference between live queries and subscriptions. We dig deeper into this idea of a serverless GraphQL backend. We talk about where community is taking place the future of GraphQL, and also where it's going. Stay tuned.
This episode of The Changelog is brought to you by GoCD, an open source continuous delivery server from our friends at ThoughtWorks. GoCD lets you model complex workflows, promote trusted artifacts, see how your workflow really works, deploy any version anytime, run and grok your tests, compare builds, take advantage of plugins, and so much more. Head to gocd.org changelog to learn more and tell them we sent you. This episode of The Changelog is brought to you by Microsoft and Azure Open Dev Conference. The event is over, but all the talks are streaming on demand right now. Head to azure.com slash opendev. This conference is focused on showcasing open source technologies in the cloud. Learn how you can build containerized microservices and improve your open source DevOps pipeline. Hear from community leaders like Gabe Monroy from Azure and Deus, Michelle Nerali from Kubernetes and Helm, and Scott Johnston from Docker. Learn about app platforms, containers, DevOps, and more. All this is provided at no cost. Once again, head to azure.com slash opendev. And now back to the show. We've kind of come to a point where it's like, where where is GraphQL going? How can you work with it? You know, what conferences are out there? Where Where's the community meeting? What kind of resources are out there to get started? And you mentioned earlier in the show, GraphQL Europe. Uh, I think you even mentioned in the off air, there's a podcast that you created. Where are things at for you? Right. Um, so yeah, uh, today is uh, May 24th when we are recording this. And um, so last week, we actually um, had the first GraphQL conference in Europe called GraphQL Europe um, with the creators of, of GraphQL, like Lee Byron and, and Dan Schaefer. We had the folks over from Meteor and Apollo. We had people over from GitHub and really the, the, uh, the entire community from all over the world um, came together and, and met. And we had great talks about, uh, about GraphQL. So that was a great place to talk about the future of GraphQL. Um, besides that, there is a, a newsletter about GraphQL called GraphQL Weekly. Um, we also, like you mentioned, um, recently started together um, with Abi. Uh, we started out uh, an, a new podcast called GraphQL Radio, which you can find on graphqlradio.com, uh, where we also have all sorts of people from the GraphQL community um, talking about different projects. So, for example, the last episode has been about um, Relay and Apollo, which are both GraphQL clients, um, and uh, how how that is kind of moving forward. And um, yeah, so there there are quite a lot of emerging um, resources for and by the community. So. I think uh, GraphQL Weekly is probably a, a good place to to be to stay on top of that. What uh, you mentioned the the conference. What uh, what would you say, in your opinion, was the the future? Since you mentioned like a lot of the future was talked about there, give us some of the. If we didn't go, what would be the the hit list of notes you took? Right, right, right. There, there are actually a lot of um, notes being published at the moment, so you don't just have to take my word for it. But um, we actually also sat down with uh, the, the creators of GraphQL, and we are now also quite involved in um, like different talking about different features for the future of GraphQL and how that is shaping. So the the great thing about uh, about GraphQL is really that it's an 
open standard. Um, so it is an open specification. You can uh, it has an RFC process. You can go to GitHub. You can propose a new RFC with a certain feature. You can hear other community members' uh, ideas and thoughts about this. And if you make a strong case, that might even like be merged into the GraphQL standard. Um, so recent developments, um, just last week as well, was a really um, eventful week for GraphQL. Just last week, GraphQL subscriptions got officially merged into GraphQL. So GraphQL subscriptions, for those of who don't know, is um, a way to establish a real-time connection to your uh, GraphQL backend. So usually that's why WebSockets and you can subscribe to certain changes and the server will send you events. And uh, the, the great thing about this is you can utilize the, the same uh, GraphQL query concept. So you can, for these events, you can even also traverse the graph and query for certain pieces of information you're interested in. So uh, a common scenario might be if you want to build a chat application, you might want to listen for new messages being created. And for every message you're interested in the text of it and also in the name of the author or something like that. So GraphQL subscriptions got recently merged in. Um, then this concept of GraphQL SCL I've mentioned previously, mm -hmm. that is not yet officially a, a part of the specification, but um, will be merged in fairly soon. Um, and yeah, there are a lot of new other exciting features which are um, coming up and a lot of people talk about them. So for example, a concept called live queries, which is an alternative way to go about real-time queries in GraphQL. Um, hmm. So yeah, there, there are a lot of, really a lot of uh, exciting um, ideas around GraphQL. You said live queries or live? Live. Queries? Okay. I thought I was like, ask, you can ask it questions about your life or something. Yeah, that's, that'd be fun. <laughs> uh, that, that's an interesting thing though, to, to have. So is live queries and subscriptions the same thing? Uh, re really good question. So they are not, um, but they both can be used for similar ideas. So GraphQL, and the, the interesting part about that is that um, based on Facebook's experience building uh, Facebook and all these real-time aspects of their of their system uh, of, of their platform so like comments that you see them popping up or that you see like the like counts increasing and so on so they've really learned a lot about how you build real-time applications at scale and these two concepts of graphql subscriptions and graphql live queries um, they are kind of the, the result of like hundreds of iterations so graphql subscriptions as i said are based on events that the server sends. And GraphQL live queries um, are not fully specified yet, that they're rather um, a broader idea um, where there are a couple of prototypes. So the idea is that you would basically send a normal GraphQL query, which you would send once for a query and you immediately get back the result. For live queries, you would send back, uh, you would also send um, this, this query and you get back a response but you keep open, you keep an open connection. And if some parts of the query change, you get just like an incremental update for the things that have changed. Mm. So um, that is just like an alternative concept to implement real-time applications in GraphQL. Let's finish out on a conversation around what seems to be 
Johannes, your the thing that really excites you, which is the the joining of GraphQL with serverless backend. And uh, oh, by the way, if if you haven't heard it yet, we had a great conversation, didn't we, Adam, at OzCon with Pam Selly about the we serverless did. revolution. So that one's either in your feed somewhere or soon will be. Uh, you can also just search changelog.com for serverless if you want to listen to that. Um, but you guys had this new architecture announcement on your blog introducing the serverless GraphQL backend architecture. And it seems to be uh, the result of some of your work of joining these two concepts. And this seems to be exactly what you're the most excited about is this thing. So tell us about this architecture concept and what you're trying to get from the community with regards to it. Right, right. So um, this architecture is basically, like you said, um, merging these two new um, these two new paradigms, how you build APIs based on GraphQL and also what serverless infrastructure just enables developers to build applications in a lot less friction, uh, like with, with reduces a lot of friction and removes uh, the requirements of hosting your own servers and so on. And bringing these two these two concepts together, um, we've proposed a new architecture idea um, where the GraphQL backend would basically be automatically generated based on your your GraphQL schema. Um, there are besides our, the service we've built, there's also a lot of work in the in the community how you can well not fully generate a production ready GraphQL API, but at least it already takes away a lot of the work for you, so you can do things like mocking based on your GraphQL schema or uh, bootstraps a GraphQL server based on your schema. So that's really the first building block that you write uh, out your, your GraphQL API based on the GraphQL SL, and you would get a production-ready GraphQL API you can use. And the second part is you then just focus on implementing the business logic. And implementing the business logic in a scalable way is possible through the infrastructure provided by, by serverless infrastructure. So like serverless functions or um, S3, uh, the, these kind of services where you don't have to worry about um, how many servers do I need to, to spin up. Maybe just Google for serverless GraphQL backend architecture. And so that, that's a fairly new concept. And we our idea is basically... Um, our, our platform, GraphQL, provides a developer platform for building these backends, but it's also we also very much believe that this will be a concept how other people build their backends, uh, even if they implement these these core parts on their own. No need to Google it if you are listening in a podcast client. Just click to the show notes; it will be in there. Or if you're on our website, well, you're just staring at the link right there, there you go. in front of you. You got it right there. Even better. Awesome. Johannes, anything else uh, you want to say before we close up? Um, yeah, I basically just want to encourage everybody to just try out GraphQL on your own if you're a developer. Um, see how easy it is to implement your own GraphQL backend. If you're a front-end developer using React, using Vue, using Angular, um, I h- highly um, encourage you to just try out GraphQL. Um, a really easy way to, to try out GraphQL in your front-end app is using a framework like um, Apollo, which is a GraphQL client, or Relay, which is a GraphQL client. And um, yeah, there are two resources also created by us, uh, which is called Learn Apollo and Learn Relay. These are the easiest way to get started with them. 
Um, so I suppose that's also in the show notes. Yes, for sure. Well, thanks, Johannes. It was uh, awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Definitely. Thanks for having me. It was really great talking about uh, GraphQL and Surplus. All right. Thank you for tuning into the Change Log. And also thanks to our sponsors who make the show possible Linode, Hired, GoCD, and Microsoft with their Azure Open Dev Conference. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to fastly.com to learn more. We host everything we do on Linode servers. Check them out, linode.com slash changelog. You can find more episodes like this at changelog.com or by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.